I'm going to try and keep it together. I'm not... I've always been told by my family when God was giving out mercy, I was in the wrong line. Well, since what I'm going to talk about this morning has happened, I seem to have had a new infusion of mercy. And um, I find my tears running down my face often. And um, that's already been the case this morning. And um, certainly the case when when you honoured me then. Thank you very much. Um, Is that clip... Okay, to run, we'll run with that straight away. Nine News with Brett McLeod. Good evening. A father who'd been on church camp is recovering in hospital after falling nine metres from a flying fox near Bacchus Marsh. Paramedics battled windy conditions to winch the man to safety. Alexis Dace reports. On a stretcher beside the Lurdy Derg River, the 46-year-old dad waits for help. As paramedics prepare to winch him to safety, windy conditions take hold and the pair swing wildly through the bushland. It was not possible to carry him out just due to the terrain. It was very steep and quite a a long distance. Aided by the SES, the man is moved back towards the river. The second attempt more successful, despite the wind continuing to batter the pair as they hang hundreds of metres above the ground. The gentleman was conscious throughout. and we were were talking with him. At 9.30 this morning, the man had fallen from a flying fox, crashing onto jagged rocks by the riverside. The man had been camping near the Chadwick walking track with a church group alongside his young son and was initially treated by friends until help arrived. After the dramatic rescue, the man was airlifted to Essendon Airport and transferred to the Royal Melbourne Hospital, where he remains in a stable condition. We get uh, all kinds of people up in the Lutterdeek State Forest. It's a, it's a well-known area for, for trekking and uh, activities in that area. Most importantly, that they did have communications to be able to call emergency services. He's being treated for lacerations to the upper body and head injuries. Alexis Daish, Nine News. chokes me up <clears throat> just seeing it because um, uh, well, like we've sung this morning he's a god of miracles before i talk about my incident that changed my life forever um i'm conscious that on that very day i was due to speak here at the 120 150th celebration of this church in this place and I was to speak for five minutes about recollections of my time here because I was part of this family still part of your family I pulled up this morning in car park and said to Robin I feel like I'm coming home <clears throat> but we, we we fellowship here for uh, near on 20 years and so we have close ties with this place and and I was asked to share some of those, those thoughts at that time. Now, that's 28 months ago. And I, when, I, when Andrew invited me to speak, <clears throat> I so desperately wanted to remember what God had given me to bring that night because I'd forgotten. Because my belief is that either of two things, either... The church was not ready to hear what I had to say or it was for now. And if you want my heartfelt truth, I think it's for now. What has held this church together 
is what we celebrated this morning in singing, and it's faith. What has seen this church survive for 150 years as a presence in this community is faith. Now, I'm not talking about just faith in believing something good's going to happen, all that sort of stuff. I'm talking about faith in God. It's a proven fact when you look around the world that if we have faith in an individual, it'll die out. Faith in God goes on and on and on and on. And any place that has a faith in God will go on and on and on. So it's not about you. It's about faith in God. This is the word of the Lord for us today, not 28 months ago. You need to hear this today. I need to speak it to you today. I also love what was said, that there's power in our words. Did you know that Satan's nothing like God? Yeah. Yeah. God is all-knowing. God knows what you're thinking. I want to say today, Satan doesn't. So when we speak stuff out, there's power in that. There's power in the negative as well. If you speak negative stuff, you give him a foothold. We need to speak out the positive gear. We need to speak out the praise of God. There's power in that. There's deliverance in that. We saw that this morning when it's spoken out, there's deliverance in it. Yes. Speak it out. Speak it out. That's called a sidetrack. Uh, and just summing up that though, it had so much to do with my own story, this faith thing. Faith in God. Faith in God. That's the difference. Without God, God is ple- without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, who here wants to please God? Yeah, I see that hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, have some faith. You want to please God? Have faith. He's a simple God. It's not rocket science. Have faith. Faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. What we hope for and assurance. And this goes against what we have in our own human DNA. We want to be sure about something. We want to know what's going to happen. And it's worse for some than others. <laughs> some, have, some of these control freaks, I love to know what's going to happen. They've got to have everything planned and sorted. And as soon as it steps out of those boundaries, oh, it's killing me. But faith in God is being sure of what we hope for. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Work on that in your life. 28 months ago, as the news clip said, we were camping in the Lerdadur Gorge. It had been a good lead up to it. Um, Robin and I were called away to help uh, plant a church, um, Rise Christian Church. And that's the reason we left Mount Clear. We're getting some momentum with our uh, church meetings and our impact on the community, etc., etc., um, we'd purchased some land, and I was heading up a building project to uh, get ourselves a building, so we didn't have to set up seats and musical equipment every week. Um, and all was going well, enjoying serving the Lord in a great place of ministry. Really felt like God was using us. We thought we'd organise a a lads camp, dads and lads camp. So we went down to the Lerdur Gorge, a place that was significant 
in my life. This is a place that I'd been to on two other occasions, three other occasions, twice with two of my children, and once with the church group. It was a fourth time back into this location. Let me tell you about the first time I went in here. When our kids got to about 10 years old, they go camping with Dad. Now, I'm not sure how it works. When they got to eight years old or something like that, they went shopping with Mum in the city of Melbourne, <laughs> staying in a five-star hotel, eating in the best restaurants and spending money. Dad gets to take him camping. Tent. Me and Star accommodation. But anyway, we, I'm down there with um, Karina. Those of you who know Karina, she's my youngest daughter. And we'd hiked all day through this terrain. I'd had a look at the maps before, but as usual, I was underprepared. And we came across, and it was getting four o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm, I'd picked out a place on the map, and I thought, that would be a good place where the track meets the river. We'll set up our tent there, cook ourselves some dinner. That'll be nice. And all, day, all afternoon, it's getting later and later. By four o'clock, we get down to the river, and I've been pumping her up because she's saying, Dad, are you sure you know where you're going? And I'm just like, yeah, yep. <laughs> so we get to the river where the track meets the river. It's all rocks, gauze bush, minimal water. I'm like... Oh, no, what am I going to say to her? What am I going to say to her? And she says, like a good 10-year-old girl says, Dad, why don't we pray? I'm like, oh, yeah, gee, I wish I had a thought of that. (laughs) So we do. God, please give us somewhere nice. Real practical stuff. Do you think God just cares about impractical gear, spiritual stuff? No. So she prays, God, please give us somewhere nice to put our tent and cook ourselves some dinner. She finished the praying. In Jesus' name, amen. Otherwise, it doesn't work. <laughs> so then I say, well, look, you sit here, wait here, right here where the track meets the river. I'll go for a little bit further and see if there's anything around the bend in the river. So she stays there and I go off without my backpack and go over a rise, bingo. Open up on the bend of a river, there's this beautiful um, stony bank on the river, beautiful swimming water hole, bit of a grass area. There's a fire pit. Someone's been there before. Rocks sitting around it, make a beautiful bench. I'm going, oh God, you are so good. So I run back to Karina, 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 quick, let's get the packs. You're not going to believe it. And she comes over and she's just going, what's all the fuss, Dad? We did pray. <laughs> it was a beautiful spot. Well, I went back there with Aaron. I went back there with the church group the year before and then last year went back there again. We had a great day. We went on the long weekend for our Ballarat show and we'd gone in there. It was a bit of a dads and lads thing, a bit of a bonding time. And uh, we got in there and mucked around on the Friday trying to dam the river, stop the water flowing. As bloke, it's a bloke thing, you know, I'm sure. <clears throat> Big rocks, shifting them, skimming stones. I was reminded of that this morning. Who, who had that word? Yeah, 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 skimming the stones. We do that on, the, on this pond, this dam. It was great. Anyway, came to the Saturday and we had breakfast, etc. 
And I thought to myself, we just need to kill a bit of time before we head, we'll hike back out. And it take us about three, four hours to hike into it. And, um, and I thought, oh, I've got a big rope. I'll set up a flying fox across the, the gorge and then I'll um, take the belt off my pants, grease that up with a bit of um, fat from breakfast, bacon and eggs, and then I'll um, down the zip line. Great plan. So I set up the rope and all my Boy Scout history comes back into play and I tension the rope up and off the belt down to the campfire and the saucepan, a frying pan, a bit of grease on it, up, throw the belt over the line, that's it for James. He can't remember anymore. Can't remember anymore. <sighs> um, so I've lost 10 days in there. There's some times nowadays that I wish I could remember what, what actually happened. We went back to the site uh, 12 months later and um, couldn't find my belt. I've lost it. <laughs> but I'll give you the tip. I'll give you one for free. Um, belts are for holding up your pants. <laughs> Not for going down zip lines. Um, so, yeah, I did. I lost. But the thing that I've, I can say in hindsight, and pretty quickly when I, when I became um, functioning again in my mind, <clears throat> um, was that God works all things together for good. All right? We had a lot of people say to us, why did God do this? Why did God do this? James, he's such a great guy. Why did God do this? Well, God didn't do this, all right? But God used this. God used this. Almost straight away, what happened was, and I wish Aaron was here because he could get up and tell you, because he was there, my son, and um, he's an I won't start crying. Okay, so straight away there was, there was a young guy there who was friends with another kid and uh, he spent a bit of time with his other family and they were trying to sow into his life. And so him and his mate were given the task pretty quickly of running out to get the SES and show them where to come, come in. And so all the way along... Um, he's, he, Brad is saying, what are they praying for? What they, who are they praying to? Can't they see the bloke's going to die? I had, I had a broken shoulder blade. I had a torn rotor cuff. I had a broken wrist, broken neck, six crushed vertebrae, and I had a gouge in my head right about here, as you can probably see. And I had almost my brains hanging out of my head. I wasn't well. <laughs> and he saw these things and said, what are they praying for? The guy's going to die. It's a waste of time. And of course, everyone's praying, including Aaron, just praying. And he's praying like no, none of the others. He's praying, oh, please save my dad, save my dad, save my dad. And they ran out. It took us four hours to hike in there. They ran out, these two boys, in 30 minutes. Uphill. Said the boy, mate, oh, I'd be 15 again. <laughs> so they, and all the way he's saying these things. What a waste of time. 
he gets to the point during that 30-minute run out of saying, God, all right, if I get back in there and it looks like he's going to be all right, if he's still alive and it looks like he's going to be okay, I'll believe in you. So he leads the SES back in. He gets there and I'm singing songs, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and he gives his life to Christ. Wow. On the day. That's what happens. God works all things together. Now, I don't want to stand here today and make it sound like... I've done a lot and worked hard at my recovery. But I don't want to stand here today and for you to go away and say, oh, James is big noting himself. He, he's pulled it together fantastic. No, it was all God. And this is the thing we need to understand about God's miracles. He can use your determination. He can use these things. It doesn't matter how the healing happens. It's always a miracle. (laughs) He puts processes in your body to form a miracle. All right, so don't discount people's testimony about miracles. All right, it's a miracle. And he has put things in my life. And what I want to speak about this morning is a simple phrase that I heard first in Bible college. And it's as now, so then. As the things you put in your place in your life now will get you through things then, will stand you instead for whatever's thrown at you then. As now, so then. So what I'm going to say this morning is don't wait for a trauma in your life. You need to put things in place in your life now that will ensure not only you survive the traumas, but the little things too, but you'll actually survive. (laughs) You'll actually survive. There'll be life. I'm reminded of the passage in Proverbs 22. It says this, and it's a very biblical Christian principle. Train a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not turn from it. Now, this says children, but I want to say it's for everybody. It's never too late to put things in your life now that will ensure your survival and maybe even your healing and rescuing. All right? Definitely the case. During that 10 days that I can't remember, I was in a state that's called post-traumatic amnesia, PTA. So I go into autopilot pretty much. So I've got, I've got no memory of what I did, no memory of what I said, um, anything like that. It's just you go into autopilot, your brain, um, your spirit operates everything you do. And just to give you a bit of an idea and to set up what I want to um, bring into your life this morning, I'd like Robin to come and talk about that because I can't remember. So Robin's going to fill you in on those 10 days. Yeah, so post-traumatic amnesia is, um, I guess, a byproduct of concussion. And um, when James fell, he um, clipped his feet on the cliff and that tipped him forward and he basically, the first hit was his shoulder, then his head straight on rocks and um, straight into the water, unconscious, upside down. The guys uh, pulled him out within about, or tipped him over within about three seconds and uh, if they weren't there, I guess you'd drown, but... um, those guys were impacted massively, but they, they helped save his life. 
And it is a miracle that there were three guys on that trip out of only about five men that had up-to-date, accurate first aid. And one of them was remote first aid. Praise God. So post-traumatic amnesia, your brain's half asleep. You've got no capacity to create short-term memory. So I was reliving the accident for James on a regular basis in the early days because every hour he would say, why am I here? Why am I here? What are they doing to me? And it was this paranoia of have, had no idea. And so I would relive it, go out and cry, <laughs> come in, relive it. You know, it was just one of those journeys. So he would say things and he really didn't make a lot of sense. Um, basically, it's... it's it's, it's almost like a little child. They don't have any, any inhibitions. They just say it as it is. You know, I remember walking down um, Bridge Mall and Amy as a little child, sorry, Amy, saying, um, that person eats too much, you know, and it's this big fat person walking right past her. You know, it's that kind of stuff where you absolutely say what's on your mind. We learn from society to, to put these walls up, to put these facades, and we can think of all, a lot of bad stuff, actually, and just not express it, you know, or we can, we learn behaviour. All, all James learnt behaviour just dropped away. And uh, one thing he did say within about half an hour of us first walking into ICU is he was asking for coffee. And I will say that soon made us realise that James is still in there. <laughs> because that's one of his loves, it's a little bit of, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he was saying all sorts of crazy things uh, and we did have a laugh. I think if we didn't laugh, we'd cry and so there were times where we would quite have a, have a giggle at some of the things he was saying. Um, but what I will say is, as time went on in that 10 days is that his real self showed through. Like I said, he was asking for coffee. The other thing on that first day is when Karina, because the kids were pretty scared to come near him, but the nurses were amazing and they just encouraged the kids to get really close to his face. And when he opened his eye, because one eye was not happening, but he opened his eye and he saw Karina and he just went, oh, come here, love. And the, f the fact that he knew us, was, was just phenomenal. And the fact that he actually didn't just know us, but there was affection there, was just, he's in there, you know, he's in there. And, and what we learnt from PTA and talking to the uh, professionals is that a lot of people in PTA, their real nature comes out, and that's not always pretty. So a lot of people, um, the nurses, deal with a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, a lot of family dispute that just comes out because you can imagine if you're not getting on well with your wife or your parents and they're there and you've got no inhibitions, um, stuff will just come out. And, and they deal with a lot of terrible, terrible situations in that time. Um, but that person doesn't know they're doing it because five minutes later they don't even know who'd visited. Um, so their memory's just not, not staying. And what I found with James was that he, it just, I think it just astounded me, and I don't want to get you crying, but he would just prophesy. He just, I've never seen him prophesy like this before, but he, people would visit and he'd be prophesying over them. People would visit and he'd be just like, let me pray for you. And he's in this state and I'm going, my goodness, you just need to rest. And he's just getting energised by this praying and, I mean, Samuel comes in and he's praying for Samuel. This is in ICU, day two or three or something. 
Um, and the nurses actually said, we fight over who's going to have him because he's amazing. He, he encourages them. He evangelised. He, he just wouldn't stop. And I think what I stood back and thought, my goodness, what would I be like? What actually would I have been like if my inhibitions had dropped away? But that was the real nature of what was inside. And that didn't just start that day he was, had the accident. That was the core of, of who he was. Um, he has no memory of that, but um, it was amidst the trauma that was pretty amazing to watch. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, love. So, I want to share with you now some practical stuff that I had put into my life. And as I repeat, I don't want to pump myself up. I just want to give testimony to God of the things that got me through a curveball. Isn't that the way you termed it? A curveball. Yeah, I got thrown a curveball. And I don't know if you've ever played baseball. Have you ever faced a curveball? It's, it looks like it's coming straight and then you swing and you miss it like miles off. And that's what it's like. It, that was what this experience was like. I did not see it coming and you certainly think it's going to go straight but it doesn't. So let me give you some, some tools that you could possibly put into your life, you could possibly develop in your life to get you through if something like this happens. No, to get you through life. To get you through life. Because stuff like, it's not as, maybe not as traumatic as my experience, but stuff like this happens to us all the time. All the time. Let's be resilient. Resilient. The first thing I remember was music. Music. It was so relaxing. You know, as Robin said, you know, in, apparently during my PTA, I was quite agitated at times and and they had to strap me to the bed, I think, at one stage um, because I would just wanted to get up and, and get going. And, uh, and, um, but music played a big part in, in, in just relaxing me and calming me. It's not, it wasn't a new thing. I'm listening to praise music all the time, yeah. filling my mind with it. Yeah. We've got to do this. Yeah. You know, you join along with it like... Maybe you do, but you don't want to be in the car with me when I'm on my own listening to praise music, you know. It's not the best sound, but gee, it's good. It's from the heart. So Karina had prepared this little iPod um, when I went to rehab after 10 days in, in um, Royal Talbot. Nothing wrong with my memory. Um, so she prepared this little iPod and I would listen to praise and worship music as I tried to get to sleep. And um, it's, it's a big thing. Fill your mind with it. Fill your mind with it. The other thing that really affected me, and certainly in hindsight it doesn't get any uh, easier, and I will try not to cry, is, is love of family. Two things here. The first thing is um, my family did stuff for me that was just so loving. You know, the kids, Emily, if you know Emily, she won't touch your feet. There's no, she, just feet are out of bounds. We don't go there. She tickled my feet for ages because it relaxed me. Apparently, I can't remember. Maybe it's just her telling me. 
So they did things for me to make me help me, to make me relax. Um, the two older girls drove to Melbourne all the time and fought the horrendous traffic and just to be with their dad and and Robin gave up seven months of her life to um, drive me everywhere because I couldn't couldn't drive because I had double vision for seven months until God healed me of that. But she put her life on hold. Everything she was doing, and she was doing significant ministry stuff, and she put it all on hold to sometimes take me to three medical appointments a day. Drove me everywhere, dropped me off at the pool, picked me up, just far out, seven months of just relentless care. It was fantastic. The other thing about family is that it was a huge motivation for me to get better. Like, I wanted to be able to provide for my family again, in every way. I wanted to be able to provide for them physically, of course. I wanted to be able to earn money and put food on the table. But even more than that, I wanted to be able to think loose, think properly again and, and, and stimulate them spiritually and emotionally and support them. I just felt like I was the baby and they were supporting me and I, and I couldn't do anything, couldn't do anything. Um, the brain injury, yeah, my body's pretty good now. But the brain injury took so long, so long to heal. Like it's so, I've never ever appreciated before the function of the brain. But if you injure it, you'll soon understand <laughs> what it is to the things that we take for granted. You know, I used to, there, there were days on end that I would just lay on my bed and stare at the ceiling because I could not. My brain could not tell me to get up and do anything. I would just lay there. And our brain processes thing is the computer that runs our body. And so overstimulation, overstimulation sucks life out of your brain, out of your body, physically. And so pe people had a lot of trouble getting used to the fact that they could only visit for a short time the longer they hung around, they would actually send me back. I'd go back in time. I remember three months after the accident, I'm sitting around the house thinking, well, shall I, I could do something when I feel okay. What about I replace all the sweet fans in the house? <laughs> hey, honey, can you drive me down to Bunnings? <laughs> so we went on an excursion down to Bunnings. It took me three days to recover. High shelves, lots of people, heaps of signs, noise. It was like, oh, overload, big time. But that's the sort of thing. You know, nowadays I walk into Bunnings, grab what I want, talk to this person, that person, you know, you just take it for granted. Back then, no, stuff like that would just wear me out big time. I used to hear, I used to hear people have chronic fatigue and I would think to myself, for goodness sake, harden up. <laughs> Snap out of it. <laughs> Chronic fatigue, what is it? Oh, I know now. This is one of the things that God put in my life in that mercy line 28 months ago. I understand now. 
and I've got great sympathy, you know, and, and it's just, we were sitting not, about 12 months after the accident, we were sitting in, the, in a McDonald's restaurant having breakfast just after the shooting in, in Sydney, uh, in that Link Cafe, and I'm just sitting there reading the paper, and all of a sudden, I'm just a blubber mess, and the family are looking at me going, Dad, what's, what's going on? <laughs> the people, Sydney, <laughs> I just, I just, stuff now just gets to my core, and you know, separation like that, and trauma, and tragedy just breaks my heart, and I'm telling you now, that's what breaks God's heart. He sees that stuff. He doesn't have to read the paper. He sees it. And it breaks his heart. It breaks his heart. And he's sitting there going, oh, no way. What, that, oh, what can I do? It just it breaks his heart. If, you, if your prayer is that you want to receive the heart of God, grow a little compassion. Grow a little mercy. Look at things with love. Look at it a little differently. I want to stand here and say thank you because I know you guys prayed for me straight away. And I can't imagine that night even you were praying straight away and, and Andrew come down to visit. He tells me he came to visit every day for 10 days. <laughs> I can't remember it, but who am I to doubt him? All <laughs> oh, right, he likes tea. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so the other thing I've learned that you need to put in your life and make it a foundation is prayer. Prayer, prayer. <laughs> Man, I, I'm a big believer in prayer now. I tell you that. I believed in it before, but now I am absolutely convinced. People were praying all over the world. You know, we're involved with Empart in North India and they put the word out straight away that night. On the Tuesday after my accident... They called a day of prayer and fasting for James. A simple electrician from Ballarat in Victoria. 5,000 pastors all fasting and praying in North India for my healing. That is humbling. <laughs> but it worked. Your prayers were heard and answered. All right, so thank you. Thank you and don't stop praying. Another thing that really helped me in many ways more ways than just one, is Bible reading. I had to get my mind functioning again. I had to get my brain running again. Like anything, you had to exercise it again to get it back up to, up to um, full capacity. And so even with my one eye, I would put a pirate's patch over my eye and I would read with one eye. And so I would... Read the Bible, of course. And I read another good book too, but I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> but the Bible, I would just read and read and read. And alongside that was memory verses. And I just challenged myself, oh, Lord, because I'm big on memory verses when I'm running. Those who know me know I love running and I run all the time. But when I start running, I just, it just comes to my mind. These memory verses, just, you know, live the new life, Christ the Savior. You know, just all these memory verses start coming to mind. And so I would purposefully discipline myself to try and remember these memory verses that I'd committed to memory. And so just trying to get my brain going. But Scripture, once again, all these disciplines 
were helping me and helping God perform a miracle in my life. Helping God perform a miracle in my life. The next thing you've got to put in your life, you've got to put in your life, is quality friends. I want to pay tribute to the Bedgood family. <clears throat> you know, it says in the Bible that greater love has no man than one lay down his life for his friends. Now, we read all that. We, I've always read that and thought, you know, he's talking about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, he laid down his life. No, but it talks about friends. And it talks about laying down. The ultimate, of course, is in Jesus. He laid down his life for you and for me. But as I take that further, it's my wife laying her life down for me in that seven months. It's putting aside your life for somebody else's life. Sally's husband, Scott, he's my best friend. And he nearly went into burnout meltdown trying to run my businesses for me. And I can't thank the Bedgood family. And that has a toll on Sally. And that's a toll on the kids. And, and, and thank you. You're all here this morning. It's great. I want to verbally thank you for putting up with your dad through those times. Thank you, Sally, for supporting your husband and, and, uh, and, and putting in through that time. He's probably the friend that comes to mind the greatest because he really did go the extra mile for me. And he tells me that he used to, you know, work 10, 12 hours a day and then cry his eyes out going home for his, for his friend. And, and that, that, that cuts me to the core and, and I pray for him every day. Every day. And it was a humbling time. I'm a self-sufficient sort of guy. I've always made things happen. Um, you want something done? Ask James. I can make it happen. And I haven't really had to rely on anyone. I could do it myself. And it's a bit of a bloke thing. We get a lot of our identity and our self-esteem on doing stuff for people. On what we're capable of. On providing for our families. Providing for our friends. All these things. But when that's stripped away from you, you just open yourself up to depression. You open yourself up to questioning, who am I? What am I? What is the use of me? You know, it's a humbling thing to wake up from an afternoon nap. And I, I was sleeping 18 hours a day. I'd have a morning sleep and an afternoon sleep. Oh, I think I can feel brain injury coming on again, love. <laughs> so I was told by Robin, right, you get two years, and after that, you can't milk it anymore. <laughs> So the afternoon sleeps have stopped. No, they haven't. Occasionally I still sneak one in. Oh, gosh. But this, this, it's a humbling thing. That's what I was saying. And 
to wake up from an afternoon nap and hear a lawnmower going in the yard. It's like, oh, God, thank you. Thanks for that, brother. Get out there cutting my grass. Yeah. His name was Richard Holloway. Oh, speak it out. Speak it out. He was a good man. He cut my grass out there three times. And if you know my place, there's a lot of grass. Another, another mate come over. Wouldn't you know it? The guys doing the road up, they've run over my letterbox. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. I've got a body brace from here to here. I'm walking around like a penguin. <laughs> no, he comes over, mate. His name, Richard Gent. He comes over, puts my letterbox back up. I could go on and on and on. People that help me. It's amazing, incredible. And once again, I don't want to take the glory, but it's because I've sown, I've been a good friend of them for years. I've got good friendships. It goes both ways. And all of a sudden, I'm in a position where I've got to rely on them. If I don't rely on them, I die. Stuff doesn't happen. Friendship. Friendship builder. Lay down your life for your friends. Step out of your comfort zone. Step out of your time frame, out of your time zones. Because everything can be an inconvenience. Step out of that for your friends. All right? That's what it means when it says you lay down your life for your friends. It doesn't just mean you die. You die to yourself. The other thing that got me through and a realisation we need to embed in our life is that there are others worse off than ourselves. You know, I've been to India many times. And I've seen guys there and girls there that are way worse off than me. I've seen guys there in a similar situation to me, but combine that with no loving family, combine that with no meals, combine that with not knowing where your next drink's going to come from. <laughs> you know, and in, even, in, even during my rehabilitation uh, four weeks, it was like this realisation I had in my imi. And there was guys in my rehab area, because it was a brain injury um, rehabilitation area, there was a lot, quite a number of guys in there that had strokes. So continue ministering is the other thing I want to put in, in with this mix. Continue ministering, there are others worse off than yourself. So there was a guy there who'd had a stroke and he couldn't finish his sentences. And he, would, he couldn't get out what he was wanting to say. He would start saying something, oh, I remember when I was just six... And he'd go, oh, bugger. <laughs> Every time the old B word had come out. And, but being in, in the same rehab area as him... I soon got to learn his patterns. And one, one instance was he liked to finish every meal with a cup of tea. He was an older guy. He liked to finish every meal with a cup of tea. But he just couldn't get the words out. And there was one nurse that cottoned onto it one time. And then I thought, oh, that's what he's trying to say. At the end of every meal, he's trying to say he wants a cup of tea. And so he'd start, he'd finish his dinner. And he'd go, oh, and they'd say, you all right, John? Is there anything else you want? And he go, oh, yeah, I'd really love... Oh, bugger. And I'd go, he'd love a cup of tea. And he'd go, 
Yeah! Look out for others. Look out for others. You embed it into your life. The biggest lesson for me, really, and I'll close with this, is that, that um, like I was saying before, us blokes particularly, and women too, we hang a lot of our worth and identity on what we can do. On what we can do. And, and to have that stripped away, you start to question yourself. And you start to question God's love for you. And I start to ask questions like, what am I ever going to do for God? You know, I, I can't even walk. I had to learn to walk. I had to learn to talk. I had to learn to see. I had to, what am I going to do for you, God? How can you love me? Because I can't, I can't do anything for you. And then one day I was at the pool and this minibus pulls up. And off the bus stepped a dozen disabled people, heavily disabled, with a couple of carers coming to the pool for a swim. And I looked at them, and at that moment, God said to me, I don't love them any less than I love you, than I love the Prime Minister, than I love anyone. I don't love them any less because they're not going to do anything for me. They're going to do our description of do. They're going to do nothing. Do nothing for me. But I love them. I would send Jesus Christ. I sent Jesus Christ for them. It's not relying on how much we do. And I've always espoused this, but at that moment, it became part of my heart experience. It was like, wow, God, yeah, you are amazing. You know, we are so relying upon people doing things for us to know that they love us and, and all these sorts of things. And I remember telling the story, and I may have told it here um, before as well, but... As a dad, there's nothing better than you're just sitting on the couch at the end of the day, you got home from work, you're watching the telly, and one of the little kids, one of your kids gets up next to you. It doesn't happen here, she's not so little. But they just get up and they snuggle right up next to you, and if need be, they'll pull your arm out, put it around their shoulder, and they'll just sit there. And at that point, it's like, what do you want? <laughs> but that's not even on their mind. They just want to snuggle into dad because he's dad. Don't want anything. You've done nothing for it. Just snuggle into you because you're dad. And God just cries out for that. He wants us to snuggle into him, to push into him for no other reason, for nothing that you can do for him or you, he, you want him to do for you, but because he's God. Just go, oh, God, I love you. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. It's been a long journey and um, another habit that I had, I will mention, is physical activity. Karina was studying biology and she came home and said to me, Dad, I know why your brain injury has taken so long to recover. Tell me more. It's because it's almost got its own blood supply. There's this massive filter that stops the bad blood cells getting through to poison, you know, to make your brain sick because your brain's got to get your rest of your body better when it's sick. Well, that makes sense. 
So as a result of this big filter, so she's trying to explain it in terms that Dad will understand, because of this big filter, it's also hard for the white blood cells to get through and to heal your brain. And I'm thinking, ah, right. So therefore, if I get my cardio up, start this blood pumping through my body a bit more, maybe that'll help. So I asked the doctor next time I said, yep, that'll help. Perfect. Right up my alley because I love running. So last, <clears throat> last year, oh, seven months, eight months after the accident, I started running again. And um, all that time before, Robin had been taking me for walks and making sure I didn't fall over. But then I started running, built up. Last year I ran the half marathon at Great Ocean Road. And then in um, November, not even two years since the accident, almost close right on, I ran a full marathon at Portland. God is good. <laughs> He's so good. So don't underestimate physical activity. It just gives me great time with God just on my own. And it, it's good for my body. And it was, it was instrumental in my, in my healing. And I stress that again, healing, all right? Not in me getting better, in my healing. God had his hand on my life. Now, we had a great time before praying for um, healing, and I don't know where this will go, but these are things, can I reiterate, that you need to get into your life now. Don't wait for, you know, great for me to get up here and tell my story and, and you go, ooh, ah, it's great. But take away something. I've given you plenty. Take away something that you can put into your life that will get you through, but more than that, will help you survive. That's what I want to leave with you this morning. And I thank you. I don't underestimate and I don't take for granted the opportunity to come and speak. And I pray that God has touched your heart this morning. Remember the first words I said. The word from the Lord was faith. Faith. Thank you. I said earlier that we would pray at the end, and we will, but I, cause there's a couple of things I, I want to ask and see if we can uncover just really quickly, yeah? So part of me is thinking, well, that's why for 10 days, when I visited you every day, those 10 days, but he doesn't remember those. Funnily enough, Robin doesn't remember them either. Anyway, um, th those, those 10 days after that, yeah, when you, your memory's starting to come back, you find yourself in hospital. Yeah, you're recovering. There had to be the why question. You must have had the why. Family would have had the why. I'm wanting to know within yourself what helped you overcome the why. Can you answer that? Yeah, Cam, <clears throat> pretty quickly the story of Brad yeah. was explained to me. Yeah. And I could start to hang my hat on not why but how. Yeah. How is God going to use this? Okay. So straight away I knew. And there's things that have been implemented in my life, like me getting mercy, that yeah. have also added to that. Yeah. Um, and I ask that question because often when we're in a season um, or have a condition, we wrestle with the why. We have a love for God. Why am I still struggling with this? Why am I still suffering with this? And often, if we go back to the prophetic word that Robin had earlier, we, it becomes an obstacle in our path, yeah? And it should never be. God's 
simpler than that, bigger than that, loves us wholeheartedly, regardless of the conditional season that we find ourselves in. Um, Robin, is there anything... Yeah, I was going to ask, because you would have been there helping. Yeah. My journey was separate from James, but the same, because obviously for a long time he had no memory, and my journey was with my kids and um, trying, to, trying to hold us together. Um, I would say the biggest thing that helped me deal with the why, because I never remember actually going, why God, why God? Yeah. Um, and I think the reason is that from the very first day, I recognised very quickly that this is our moment to glorify God. So we always want to glorify God. Our lives should be a desire to glorify God, should it not, you know, yeah. as Christians. But when we're doing normal life behind the scenes, um, when we stuff up, it's not so public. Um, but when we're in something pretty big, we're being watched by a whole lot of people. And I was actually okay with that. And I was, my, my thinking, and I, I believe God plants it there and it's been there, is that this is my season where I could influence and be a witness to so many people. Come on. Yeah. And if I can't use that now, I'll never... What's the point in having a faith in, in a God? Yeah, come on. So what I'm trying to say is my focus and my purpose took away the why. Yeah. And yeah. I just... I actually sat the kids down and I said, this is... Crap. This is not what we want. I didn't ask for this. But it's here. God didn't bring it, but it's here. Yeah. And I actually sat them all down, including Aaron, who'd seen the whole trauma. He saw Dad fall. And I said, we are going to use this to the glory of God. Come this on. is going to have great effect. Come on. This is going to bring people into the kingdom. We are going to use this. So we need to watch how we treat each other. We watch how we speak to each other. We watch how we talk to other people. We don't bring out our pain on other people. And let's... Praise God, regardless of what's going on. Let's honour God with everything that we do and say, regardless yeah. of where we're at. Because God's the same, isn't he? Yeah. Our situations can be tough, but God is still God. Amen. And God Amen. is still good. Amen. And um, so I think, for me, from then, it kind of set our family. And the, what the kids put on Facebook and, and uh, people were just impacted. So it was what was the song he was singing? Oh, the sun, the sun, ten thousand reasons, yeah. And again, that's because worship music is always yeah. in in yeah. in our family, yeah. and yeah. Um, I asked that question because the reason he remembered that song is he has the family, um, but in James's instant instance, he has a faith that presses him and compels him and pulls him into the things of God all the time. You know, if we're to be completely open, honest and transparent, there are times where I know I should probably read a bit more or I should put some worship on or I should turn the TV off and I know and my heart calls out, but I fail in that moment. You know, and I don't know, is there anyone else that's ever failed in those moments? Yeah? But I love the fact that, you know, even in those moments of failing, there's been a faith that's been integral in their walk that sustained them for the season 
that they have been in. It's your faith. The word faith that you had, that you've you know, shared for our church, is not just for our church, but it, it's been for your life. Yeah? And, and so we're going to call the worship team up and we're going to ask these guys to pray. Now, it could be because of a condition, a diagnosis, because of that word. We're going to declare and decree a deliverance over those things. But it's for the gift of faith. You know, not a faith to believe in God. Yes, yes, we've got that. But a faith that, can, that, that just truly believes that mountains will be moved. That truly believes that regardless of where I find myself in today, there's still a God that loves me for me. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. And when his time's right, I've got faith in him. And I will walk again, run again, marathon again. I will see through my eye again. I'll have to remove the pirate patch, though I really loved it at the time. You know, I'm sure he just had it there for a while just because of, you know, I don't know. But for me, it's your faith. You know, your journey over the last 28 months is phenomenal, but it's your faith. It's, it, I, I always admired your faith before that, but I love your faith now. And it's been your faith that's brought you to this place that's increased. We go from glory to glory and strength to strength. And so if we're not always growing in our faith, if we're stale and we're missing something. And so that's what I want these guys to pray today. That in our own walk, in our own life, we take that next step, regardless of season, regardless of condition. And like that woman with the issue of bleeding, yeah, her faith healed her. So let's call on God for that faith. Let's get that extra unction, that extra gift. Let's be a people that can believe when we pray for a cold, the cold will be healed. Let's believe that when the finances are coming, there's still a God that loves us. And no matter what comes against us, there's a family, because we're family together. We do stuff together, yeah, that are always there to love us. Amen. Are you guys okay to pray? So why don't we all stand? And if that's you, you know, you might want that, just that extra unction of faith. God, just give me that. Man, I want faith like that. If I find myself on my back and my life is threatened, I want a faith that moves mountains. You know, I want a faith that can believe that when I'm praying for people, I'll see them come to the Lord. I'll see them healed and I'll see them saved. And if you've got a condition, even if you had prayer before, you had prayer and you're not... Luke walked away saying, wow, the pain's gone, but you've still got that thing, yeah? You can feel it. It's not quite right. Then come back and let's pray again. Even Jesus had to pray a couple of times for someone. That's why it's there. It's to say it's okay to go in for a second dose. Amen? So let's worship and let's pray.